Friends and enemies, welcome to the Progress Report. I am your host, Duncan Kinney. We're recording here today in Amiskwichiwaskaigan, otherwise known as Edmonton, here on Treaty 6 territory. And today we're talking about, there's really no other way to put this, Edmonton's Nazi collaborator statue. Um, I don't know if you know this, it's not super widely known amongst around town, but yes, Edmonton has a statue of a Nazi collaborator, a man who participated in the Holocaust during World War II. His name is Roman Shkevich, and his statue is outside of the Ukrainian Youth Unity Complex on the north side of Edmonton. It's a larger-than-life copper bust, and it was put up in the mid-1970s, around the time that the building went up. To help us understand why this statue is here, and the context around Roman Shkevich, we have on the line Per Anders Redling. Pear is an associate professor of history at the University of Lund in Sweden. He also has a PhD in history that he got uh, at the University of Alberta, so he does have a bit of an Alberta connection. Pear, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. To help us process this on the local side, we are also very lucky to have Paula Kerman on the show today. Paula is a communications professional and an award-winning journalist and community organizer. Paula, welcome to the Progress Report. Thanks, Duncan. Okay, so I've just put it out there straight up off the top. No, No kind of like skirting around it you know Edmonton has a statue of a Nazi collaborator in it and Perry you've done extensive research on Roman Shikavich like we kind of I during the research for this episode I kind of referred extensively to your academic work on this subject um why don't you just take a bit of time to to put us in the the mind of Roman Shikavich where did he come from what was his political ideology what was his political project and let's do all this kind of like pre-World War II before the like Nazis showed up in the Ukraine well, Roman Sokhevich belonged to a prominent family in what was called, in, and is still called Galicia, uh, the easternmost province of the Austrian Empire. Uh, he, uh, like many of his generation, generation were very frustrated uh, with the failure to establish a Ukrainian state. He uh, joined one of the most radical far-right movements in Ukraine, which later on became known as the Organization of Ukrainian Nationalists, known as OUN. And he came to be one of the leading figures there. This organization believed in using terrorism to achieve Ukrainian statehood. Uh, the Ukrainian state, uh, ethnically pure, uh, ethnically cleansed Ukraine, the Ukrainian state for Ukrainians, uh, a one-party state, an authoritarian state. Uh, increasingly, uh, the UUN uh, over the 1930s uh, oriented itself towards revisionist powers, not least Nazi Germany. And in the 1939-1940-41, Roman Shokhevich was trained by uh, Nazi Germany, by the, by the Abwehr, military intelligence of Nazi Germany. And, and Roman, just to jump in here, like Roman Shokhevich believed in violence to kind of achieve his political ends. Like he started, he engaged in political terrorism from a young age, right? Well, he was involved in, uh, in his first assassination at age 18 in 1926. The UUN, should be said, was a marginal group. It was a rather sectarian far-right group, and it did not command the support of most Ukrainians. But it was the most radical group on the Ukrainian political spectrum in the 1930s. And it believed, yes, in, in assassinating Polish government officials and uh, uh, headmasters at schools and whatnot, and, and, and bringing about sort of a revolutionary situation in Poland so that Ukraine could achieve independence. Not entirely dissimilar from the Ustash in Croatia or, or other violent uh, radical uh, right-wing groups that appeared. And, and the OEN was explicitly set up as like an anti-democratic, anti-Semitic organization as well, right? 
it was explicitly anti-democratic. It sought a one-party state under its own absolute control. And it increasingly, from 1935-36 onwards, became anti-Semitic. And by 1941, when the organization split, Shukhevich uh, belonged to the most radical wing, the Oun Bandera, after his leader Bandera. That group was particularly radical and open anti-Semitic and calling for the extermination and the removal of the Jews uh, in, of, of Western Ukraine by 1941. So how then, maybe coming forward to the present day, why would um, a monument to someone who was anti-democratic and anti-Semitic, why would a monument to that person end up being built in Edmonton of all places? It's a, it's a fascinating story. Um, uh, Ukraine, um, there are, there's a very large group of Ukrainians in Canada, uh, and the group that came after World War II, the so-called third wave of Ukrainian immigrants, many of which were displaced persons, stateless people from Western Ukraine, uh, many of which were members of the UN. Uh, they came to take over in many ways, uh, take over the leading positions in the Ukrainian community. And uh, they pursued a, a historical memory, which was heavily centered on the UN and the organization of Ukrainian nationalists armed wing, the Ukrainian insurgent army known as UPA, which Shokhevich commanded from 1943 to 1950 during his death. Shokhevich became a symbol for the armed resistance to the Soviet control of Western Ukraine. Uh, he is not commemorated for his anti-democratic, for his uh, anti-Semitic, or his, um, um, his violence against uh, Jews and, and Poles and other minorities, but he's commemorated as a symbol of anti-Soviet, anti-communist resistance. And he led this UPA, this Ukrainian insurgent army, until his death in 1950, and became a symbol uh, for the nationalist uh, narration of history. Uh, and when Canada adopted official multiculturalism in 1971, uh, large, number, large amounts of money was allocated uh, to various communities. The Ukrainian nationalists in Canada had been particularly active in pursuing the establishment of multicultures in Canada and uh, significant amounts of money were, challenged, were channeled into uh, nationalist newspapers, communities, and uh, including the building of uh, these sort of memorials. And, and let's just even jump back a little bit too. So, so we, we kind of get why a statue like him would show up in Edmonton in 1970, but let's jump back to World War II and, you know, the atrocities that Roman Shikhevich and his soldiers took part in. So, so World War II starts and between the, the periods of, of 1941 and 1943, Roman Shukhevich is a, in the employ of Nazi Germany, right? Well, what happens is that Hitler and Stalin, through the Molotov Treaty, divide up Poland. Uh, and the western Ukraine, or eastern Poland, falls under Stalin. Shukhevich goes into exile, uh, uh, and uh, he is trained by the Abwehr, by Nazi Germany's military intelligence. And he comes to lead this organization, well, uh, a battalion, known as Nachtigall, Nightingale, which marches in with the Germans uh, in June of 1941. And they reach Lviv, or Lvov, the largest Western Ukrainian city in 1941. And there, Uun, Andrzej Bandera, uh, declares Ukraine independent uh, in a firm and uh, permanent alliance with Nazi Germany. Now, Nazi Germany did not seek an independent Ukraine. They had accepted and encouraged independent fascist Slovakia and independent fascist Croatia, so they wouldn't bet it on them treated, treating Ukraine in the same way. But the Nazis were not interested. They arrested Bandera and some of the top leaders of the UN. Shokhevich thereafter went 
well, the one at the same time as the leaders were arrested, encouraged the infiltration of German military formations. So Shukhevich, he was volunteering his services and was sent to Belarus. And in Belarus, he took part in anti-partisan activities. But Nachtigall also in 1941 took part in the pogrom in Lviv uh, and its soldiers, uh, well, partial of, of, of the unit, not all of the soldiers, but partial Nachtigall took part in the pogrom. And soldiers under Roman Shukhevich's command in, in, uh, in Vinitsa in, in Western Ukraine carried out mass shootings of Jews. Uh, thereafter, he went to Belarus, he served the Nazis there for, for over a year. And after 1943, well, after, 19, after the Stalingrad um, defeat in 1943, he defected, he and his men defected his collaboration with the Nazis and founded this UPAD, Ukrainian Insurgent Army, which also carried out on its own accord uh, the uh, ethnic cleansing of Western Ukraine, uh, primarily aiming their violence against Poles, uh, but also Jews, uh, Czechs, Armenians, and, and not least non-nationalist Ukrainians who were killed uh, in the tens of thousands. And so this Roman Shukhevich figure, he, he command, he's, a, he's a commander in this, in this army, right? And, and soldiers under his command participated in a program that killed tens of thousands of Jews? What's, 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 the, what's the number on, and the scholarship say around, you know, the casualties and how many people were murdered in, in the case of that, in that pogrom? Well, in the case of the pogroms in 1941, there were between 58 and 130 different pogroms in Western Ukraine alone. Uh, we don't have the exact numbers, but the estimates range from between 7,000 and 35,000 killed Jews. Uh, a very detailed study that appeared three years ago by the German scholar Kai Struve, uh, one of these like massive 800-page German, you know, Habilitationsschrift and this like very serious research. He uh, he. Uh, estimates the number of Jews killed uh, in the pogroms by the Ukrainian nationalists, so about seven or 8,000. And this is part of the Holocaust, right? Like, I know that the image of the Holocaust is of, of you know, these concentration camps or the Warsaw Ghetto, but this is part of the Holocaust project as well, right? It's, of course, a matter of definition that the, sort of that, the, the decision to exterminate all Jewry of Europe to, was made in, in January 1942. But of course, as soon as Barbarossa began, uh, the Nazis carried out and unleashed violence on a very, very massive scale. Uh, they also encouraged uh, pogroms by local, local elements. Uh, so whether this anti-Jewish violence taking claiming tens of thousands of lives in the first days of the war should be properly characterizes part of the Holocaust or not, I, I guess that's debatable, but, but it was part of a larger project. Uh, the UN was committed to removing or, or, or killing uh, as many Jews as they could, and the Nazis, Nazis encouraged that. Uh, yeah, so... I, I find it really hard, really hard to believe that when the, you know, a monument like this um, you know, was, was planned and was erected, that nobody would have said anything about about this. Well, that's what I found sort of remarkable too. Coming, you know, as a, as a historian of the Holocaust and of an MA in U Jewish history, and I was a little bit surprised when I came to Edmonton to see this this memorial. But it should be kept in mind, right? It was erected, I believe, in 1973, and the role, the prominent role that the Holocaust has today in Canadian collective memory or in Swedish historical culture collective memory is largely a result of processes in the late 70s and 1980s with the Holocaust miniseries being aired in 1978. 
there was little, relatively little interest in the Holocaust in the early 1970s and even less knowledge about the organization of Ukrainian nationalists and Ukrainian insurgent army. This was during the Cold War, right? And, and these people that built those monuments were ardent anti-communists and they were, uh, I think that was more, more important. And um, there was relatively, you know, also Jewish groups and Polish groups that did have more knowledge of this, I would imagine, did not, uh, well, it didn't generate many, many controversies uh, at a time. Well, I'm, I'm curious uh, now, now that we're having this conversation, do you think Ukrainians or Ukrainian Canadians know about Roman Shukhevich's history with the Nazis or his history in the murder of Jews? Well, if... You as a researcher can look this up quite quite easily and are aware of this. I'm sure those that go to the Roman Shokhevich Memorial could also do the same sort of like, you know, research. Uh, there is so much materials that have been made available since the Cold War ended, with Soviet archives being opened, CIA documents being opened. Uh, th- there's a multitude of sources now, and uh, it must be regarded as, as established facts that Shokhevich was involved in or led the organizations that carried out mass murder of, of, of Jews. Uh, so it's, uh, but you know, when I, when I first started writing about this, I published an article about this 10 years ago, it really didn't generate, generate much of an, of an argument. <laughs> Paradoxically, it, 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 uh, it became more of an issue now last year, it was two years ago, when the Russian embassy in Ottawa uh, sent out a number of Twitters uh, lamenting and complaining about uh, Canada having Nazi war crime memorials in the cities. Uh, of course, for transparent political reasons, uh, trying to discredit Canada as a geopolitical adversary. Uh, but it was really only when, when Russia made this a big political uh, issue, tried to instrumentalize the issue, that uh, this um, more interests were, were taken in, 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 in this regard. Into this, in- I mean, and I've got to be honest, that's how I heard about it, too. There was a a few news stories that kind of popped up in 2017 around Edmonton's Nazi collaborator statue. And and that's where I kind of had gone down the rabbit hole of of figuring out who this Roman Shukhevich figure is and, and, you know, his his history with the Nazis and his involvement with mass murdering Jews. And and clearly, you know, it, it serves Russian political ends to bring that up. But it is also not. Uh, what they are saying is true, and and that is something that uh, you know we in Edmonton and Canada and Alberta and Canada kind of have to reckon with. Now it's it's a paradox that they send out these tweets saying "Remember the Holocaust, never again," and the whole idea that Russia would be sort of the uh, the uh, uh, a country to commemorate the Holocaust. Russia never published any books on the Holocaust, didn't use the term, and had no interest. In this, so of course it's 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 a political political decision that doesn't make it incorrect. What you're saying that Roman Shokhevich was a Nazi collaborator is uh, actually historically accurate. So thanks so much for coming on the show, Per. We really appreciate your um, the scholarship you've done on this. And if you are interested in reading his paper, "The Cult of Roman Shokhevich in Ukraine: Myth Making with Complications," you can check out the show notes. We'll have that in there. Um, again, thanks so much, Pear, for helping us understand more about the Nazi collaborator statue in Edmonton, and we really appreciate you coming on. My pleasure. Thank you so much. So, Paula, uh, I am not Ukrainian, uh, nor am I Jewish, but I am still extremely troubled by the news that Edmonton has a statue of a Nazi collaborator in it. Um, and rightfully so. Um, and I am Jewish, and I am of Eastern European heritage, and... Uh, 
it was a real surprise for me to find this out as well and to find out in pretty much similar way that you did. Um, like Per explained, things were kind of, I guess, quieter during the Cold War era. And it's only now that these things are sort of coming to light. Yeah, like it is just absolutely fucking wild that we have a statue of a Nazi collaborator in Edmonton. I mean, this is what is to be done. Like, how do we talk to the world and our our neighbors and Ukrainians about the fact that this statue exists? I think having conversations like this and, and raising awareness, first of all, that this monument exists and there's a question of, well, now that we know about it, what do we do about it? I think those are important conversations to have um, for people who are willing to have them. Yeah. And it's funny, like Ukrainians have been coming to Alberta since like the 1890s, right? Like they mm-hmm. were part of the, one of the first waves of European settlement here and they've kind of consistently, there's been a few waves. And I've just got to think that a lot of people just don't know. I would I would tend to think that you're right about that. I, I think that for people who are in the Ukrainian community and know about the monument to them, maybe this is just someone who to them in their culture was a freedom fighter and saved them from communism. And they may not necessarily know all the other stuff. Um, it, you know, I, I can't speak for the Ukrainian community, but I think that, uh, it's something that needs to be talked about. And, and the, the other interesting angle on this is the Russian thing, right? Like the only reason we yeah. know about this is because the Russians yeah. are, they're interested in sowing discord and, and bringing up kind of uncomfortable facts. We saw it with kind of Christian Freeland's dad, yeah. who I think was some type of ran a Nazi collaborator newspaper or something. Uh, and then this kind of came out at the same time as that news around Christian Freeland's dad that Edmonton, I think Oakville has a similar monument. Um, I mean, these are, uh, this is, this is the part of a broader conversation, even about monuments and statues of, of figures that are, let's just, kind of say problematic uh, historically. Yeah, this is not something that's unique to the Ukrainian community or to Edmonton. Over the last couple of years, there have been a lot of discussions about monuments all over North America that are problematic because of racism or uh, the the person who is being commemorated was involved in some kind of uh, genocidal activity or some kind of... Uh, activity that uh yeah like the big canadian one is statues of sir johnny mcdonald i think it was in victoria where that one came out right and and i think uh that it was eventually removed by order of vancouver city council and sir johnny mcdonald the statues of sir johnny mcdonald and having it removed kind of started this national discourse around glorifying people who have obviously participated in genocide like if you do the reading sir johnny mcdonald like read clearing the plains like Mm -hmm. uh sir johnny mcdonald hated indigenous folks and used his power as prime minister to kill them yeah. <laughs> and to starve them to death. Um, and he's also the person who started our country. And like, this is a fact that we as Canadians kind of have to reckon with. Um, I, I, there, that argument though, in that discourse brought about some like stupid, stupid takes. And, and the, the, my least favorite take is that by taking down statues, you are removing these people from history. Yeah. And that's really a false narrative because statues are not intended to 
more memorialize history they're intended to commemorate somebody for their wonderful achievements so uh, you're not you're not fucking burning books no, here no <laughs> no and, and that what then what that person did they're still in the history going to still be in the history books and people can still learn about them but, but there are you know obviously some problems inherent to putting someone up on a pedestal literally and figuratively yeah right like like in the case of of Romanchkevich if, if you want to talk about yeah, Ukrainian anti-communist resistance. He seems like a pretty important figure. Um, it also doesn't stop, or it also doesn't obviate the fact that he participated in the mass murder of Jews when he collaborated with the Nazis. Like, like yeah. that is still going to be um, that is still just like a historical fact. And a statue is different from history. And I really, really, really dislike um, that take uh, that like knocking down these statues is, is is removing history or somehow some type of like mm-hmm. act of aggression against the teaching of history. It's like yeah. absolutely fucking not. I mean, and Edmonton has its own. Uh, uh, I'm problematic statues as well we've got uh, a memorial a little plaque a uh, information plaque as well as a bust or a relief bust of frank oliver mm-hmm. in downtown frank oliver was uh, a cabinet minister under canadian various canadian governments and was responsible for um like land theft essentially like like using his power and influence as both a a cabinet minister and as a local businessman, mm-hmm. as a guy who ran a newspaper to essentially force the Papa Chase Cree off their land. That land is now the legislature grounds and the University of Alberta, like some of the choicest uh, land in Edmonton is essentially stolen land. Of course, yeah. And and then we've got a statue of Winston Churchill. Mm-hmm. Our, our town square is named after Winston Churchill. And if you read a few books about Winston Churchill... Um, him and his advisors were responsible for the Bengal famine, which killed, literally killed two to three million people mm-hmm. during the forties. Um, you know, like these these people are the people that our society has decided are worthy of statues. And I think uh, when you actually look back mm-hmm. at the fucking record and read a book, it's like actually no. Yeah, it's it's sort of like being selective in what you're going to celebrate about a person while ignoring the horrible things that that person did. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paula, there's also another kind of problematic monument to Ukrainian nationalists in Edmonton, and, and you had kind of worked with a few students on a movie project. Can you tell us about that yes. as well? Uh, so I've worked on a, a movie project called A Monumental Secret uh, with a fellow Jewish filmmaker named Adam Bentley. And it basically, uh, it's it brings up some very similar uh, issues to what we're talking about today in that there is a monument uh, commemorating a number of Ukrainian battalions who fought in World War II. It's located in the St. Stephen's Cemetery on the in the north side of the city. And there's a, there's a plaque that lists the battalions. And two of them were ones that fought alongside the Waffen-SS, like we've been discussing today. So um, when Adam discovered this, uh, he brought it to my attention. And again, I... This was the first time I had ever heard of this and did some research. And we interviewed Per and we interviewed uh, John Paul Himka, who is also an expert in Ukrainian history here in Edmonton. And uh, we, we made a short film about it where we included the, the information about what this monument is, when it was built, why it was built. And tying it together is the narrative of these two friends who are trying to reconcile the no- the knowledge that they now have that this exists and what they're supposed to, to do about it. And they come to different opinions about it. 
and and is this is this essentially the conversation that we're having just played out again like is this tearing down history is it not kind of thing very uh, very similar um it uh it ends kind of on a more informative kind of note but uh it, it's about the difficult conversations that we have to have about these monuments that exist and they're not easy conversations and uh and it's very controversial as well. We've been having a hard time getting an audience for it in Edmonton, very, very strangely enough. And I'm curious about the, the Edmonton Jewish community. Is this something that they're aware of either? You know, I, I reached out to a Jewish Federation and was informed that they, they don't have uh, an, uh, any official statement about about um, the uh, monument that we've been discussing today, the Shukevich Shus- Shus- uh, um, monument, um, either locally or nationally. So, um, I of course I can't speak for the Jewish community. No, no, but you yeah. did reach out, and then there yeah. was just essentially like a no comment. Yeah, and and it doesn't feel like this is a priority for the like broader organized Jewish community. Would you say that's fair? Uh, perhaps not. Although you know it, it, today. Um, we are dealing with a society where there is increasing anti-Semitism. There are increasing anti-Semitic sentiments um, through these the rise of these right-wing fascist groups that are popping up all over the place. There are uh, there have been um, a, a number of violent anti-Semitic acts. I mean, we've just passed the first year anniversary of the the, the Tree of Life synagogue shooting. So anything that I think contributes to anti-Semitism, anti-Jewish sentiments in in our society is something that needs to be looked at critically. Mm Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. It's it's a it's a fascinating argument, and and the this statue, the Roman Shukevich statue, is essentially on private property, right? It's on the Ukrainian Youth Unity Complex, right? As is, as is the monument uh, that I just talked about in the Saint Stephen's it's Cemetery. A, it's it's also private, private it's property, a private cemetery, yeah. and those are different conversations than I think, uh, like the Churchill statue, for instance. And and I'm unaware of whether the I, th- I think the Frank Oliver Memorial is on private land, though it is essentially open to the public. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the question of public versus private, I mean, you can put up a statue of whoever the fuck you want at the mm-hmm. end of the day on your own land. I mean, it doesn't mean that we can't talk about it. The, the question of like public memorials, I think, is a much is a much easier conversation to have about whether we should be getting rid of them, whether we should be adding context to those monuments. Um, I don't know what the I, I mean, I, I tend to lean towards just like if, if this person is uh, bad, um, get rid of the monument of the bad person. I tend to lean towards that. But I mean, if we also want to add the context of those monuments, if for whatever reason we can take those monuments down at the very least, I think we can add information to those monuments that, um, you know, shows the, the context and the, the reasons why this is actually a controversial thing. Well, to definitely, have up, right? definitely. I mean, if somebody who completely knows, you know, nothing about the particular person comes by and sees a monument to someone, well, they're going to think, oh, wow, this must have been a really, really great person. But um, at the very least, to have something on there to kind of qualify that can help raise people's awareness as well. If for some reason, like you said, a mon- monument can't come down for whatever reason. Yeah. I don't know. This is a, it's a frustrating one, right? Like, like I think there's no good way to end this episode, I think, because this, this, this statue is just going to continue to exist and we're just going to continue to exist with the knowledge that Roman Shakevich was a Nazi collaborator who murdered Jews. Uh, I don't, it's, it's a tough one. It is not like a yeah. happy, it's yeah. not a happy, jokey I, it's episode. It's an odd feeling to know that in my city there, there 
are monuments to Nazi collaborators as a Jewish person. I find that really, really disconcerting. And uh, But I'm really glad that more awareness of it is being raised, and hopefully we can continue to have these kinds of conversations and maybe it's down the road there is some kind of a some kind of a solution that uh that can be done okay well let's let's end it there uh thanks so much for being on the show paula we really do appreciate your time is there any way uh, people can follow your work online absolutely um i am living sanctuary on twitter and on instagram on facebook you can find me just searching my name paula kerman i have a personal page and a music page um and uh yeah Awesome. Okay. And um, if you like this podcast, if you think more people need to know that there is a statue of a Nazi collaborator in Edmonton and you live in Edmonton, you know people who live in Edmonton, um, share this podcast with them. Um, text it to them, post it on their Facebook wall, send it to them via a messenger pigeon. I don't really care, but uh, word of mouth is really the best way to get news out around this podcast. Uh, if you do like this podcast as well, please leave a review. Uh, on Apple Podcasts or anywhere on the pod on your podcatcher of choice where there's an opportunity to leave reviews, those are super useful and kind of help the algorithms determine that uh, this podcast is good and that you should listen to it. And if you do like this podcast and want to support it and support what we do, uh, thank you. There are already there are already around 250 people who do so, and you can go and do this at theprogressreport.ca/patrons. Uh, again, if you go to the the website, it, it's either the, the support the progress report button or just go to theprogressreport.ca slash patrons, put in your credit card and contribute a little bit every month, five, 10, $15. It goes a long way and we really do appreciate it. Also, if you have any notes, thoughts, comments, or things you think I need to hear about, I'm on Twitter at Duncan Kinney uh, and you can reach me by email at Duncan K at progressalberta.ca. Thanks so much to Cosmic Family Communist for the amazing theme. Thanks so much to Paula Kerman for being in the show. Thank you for listening and goodbye. <laughs>